Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Dr. Kelly Munger on attachment relationships in educational settings. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, getting ready to join you again here today. So let me tell you a little bit about our topic and my guests for today. It's going to be a little bit different because we're going to be looking at attachment relationships in educational settings and the importance of the types of relationships that educators have have with kids and how that relates to academic achievement. So I have joining us here in a few minutes, Kelly Munger, and she is um, a founder and partner in an organization called Fuel Ed. And she'll be telling us more about them and their work, but I'd like to share a bit about Kelly. She holds a BA in English from Auburn University, an MA in teaching from Lee University, and an MA in counseling psychology from Covenant Seminary. She completed her PhD in early intervention and special education at the University of Oregon in 2019. She's a researcher and licensed therapist working in the areas of trauma, adult attachment, special education, and human development. And she's passionate about leveraging the power of relationships to promote developmental flourishing across the lifespan. Wow, that's a great descriptive sentence there at the end. I love that. Um, So Kelly will be joining us in just a minute. Uh, Stay tuned. Join the Knowledge Center for an experiential workshop designed to support successful engagement of parents in the child therapy process. Karen Doyle Buckwalter will be joined by Daphna Lender for the other half of the equation, engaging parents in child therapy. This two-day workshop on April 28th and 29th will focus on how to identify parents who need more focused work, how to set goals for the parent, how to help parents initiate relationship repair, and more areas to help the child, parent, and therapist get the most out of the therapy session. Registration is now open. For more information, order register for the workshop, head to tkcchaddock.org. Hey, Kelly, welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. It's good to have you here to continue this discussion. I'm so glad to be back and can't wait to finish our conversation. Yeah. So listeners, um, I'm here with Kelly Munger and she is from an organization called Fuel Ed. And we're going to be continuing our conversation about the impact of secure attachment on education, the impact of relationships on education education. Um, So some of the things that we've already talked about are the, you know, positive outcomes associated with secure attachment, Um, talk some about how secure, securely attached kids um, have a better capacity to regulate themselves emotionally and control their impulses and some of the things that are really important to be able to do in an educational setting. Um, you know, but one of the things that uh, I also saw that, that you were writing about is one of the things that you think is important with this information that you guys are sharing with teachers is this information helps teachers not personalize behaviors 
from kids. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about um, when you talked about one's own attachment history and how that can impact things in a classroom. So, so first, how, how do you feel um, sharing this information helps teachers not personalize behaviors from kids? Right. So, okay. So in our training, um, we, we actually train teachers in the science, the skills and the self-awareness of secure attachment in the classroom. And so when I think about personalization of behaviors, uh, what comes to mind immediately is just triggers. And so part of the work that we do with teachers is to actually help them identify their own emotional triggers, their own shame triggers. Um, because usually when we are having a really big response, when we're feeling reactive around someone else's behavior, i.e. a student's behavior, yes, there's usually, uh, there's usually two stories at play, right? There's yes. the student story and then there's the educator story. And, and so the best I can do is to give an example for my own life, um, which is that my son, he knows this, we've talked about it, that when he goes into more, um, a more clingy mode where, which I might perceive if I'm personalizing it as quote whiny, uh, then I, I will be triggered by that. And part of that is because I grew up in a very independence valuing and promoting home. And so probably have more of an avoidant attachment history myself. And as I've moved into security, actually the way that I've moved towards security is to be able to really honestly name that mm-hmm. and to name that independence was part of my own coping or survival skill. Um, and so when my body perceives that my son doesn't have those independent coping skills, that actually brings up feelings of fear or shame, anxiety, reactivity, even anger in me. And so now that I recognize that, that it's not about his behavior, right? He's just expressing need because that's what children do because I'm his attachment figure. (laughs) Um, Now that I've recognized my own story at play there, I can actually, it's almost like clearing up my glasses, clearing the fog out from my glasses. I can see him, I can see his need And I can take that little pause that says, okay, the reactivity is coming up. You can breathe a little through that because really this isn't about um, this relationship. This is about the implicit or the, the stored memories that I have in my body, in my brain, my com- the complex body brain that I have. Yes. So that little pause is that mindful moment where I'm back. I'm able to go back and focus on his needs i'm able to attune to him and see that his behavior is just communication right it's not um he's not being he's not willfully hurting me (laughs) when he's feeling um a need for closeness or maybe he's tearful because he's sad and so what we do is we actually walk teachers through that we don't um we don't skirt around the idea that teachers bring their own stories into the classroom. We approach it head on. And so by allowing teachers to safely um, and with the, within a context of empathy, explore their own triggers, what we hear teachers tell us is that I'm seeing, they will literally tell us, I'm seeing my students through a new lens. 
Wow, that's and great. it's like inviting the student story back into the room. Mm-hmm. If you're not aware that our story is triggering all kinds of things. It takes up the entire room. Our story takes up the entire room mm-hmm. and our survival and our coping. But when we can become mindful of that, it's like another way of opening the door and inviting the student story to be there as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when a teacher might be able to say, oh, um, I wonder what was going on for him last night. That student is fussy today. You know, what, what's going on? Maybe he's hungry. Maybe he didn't sleep well. Maybe there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea of stories, both being in the room and ha- having awareness about our own story as educators, and then also the stories that our students bring. That piece of awareness and mindfulness is so, so, so powerful. Mm-hmm. And that is the process that we walk teachers through. Mm-hmm. So I'm listening and um, I'm loving what you're saying. Um, and it, it definitely correlates um, with what we would ask parents also to do. Um, and I think some parents are very receptive to that, maybe almost thinking, why is it taking someone so long to ask me some of this? Um, when and other parents, maybe in a different part of their journey, are like, we're not here for me. Like, we need to figure out what needs to happen with my child, or um, I feel like you are trying to blame me, or, or something like that. So, um, are, do you find most teachers receptive to to that idea? And and what what do you? And if so, I mean, you're saying you do. Um, what do you think about your approach makes them more open and receptive? And and do you ever have people that are like what? Like I'm not going there. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good question. That's one of the better questions I've heard in a while um, because that that actually just challenges me to reflect on why, because I will say that very, very few teachers give us pushback in our approach. Um, I mean, of course that has happened, right? Right. I think that, I think there's a few things at play. I think one is just teachers in general are going to be receptive to uh, being able to grow as educators, especially because we give them the science first in our training, mm-hmm. we give them a really solid foundation and a really solid why. Why do this work? Um, I think the other thing is that we take a very constructivist approach in how we teach and develop teachers. And so if you say, if you're a teacher going through our, our sort of flagship training, which is a three-day intensive, it's, um, it's a very uh, slow process, even though it's in three days, <laughs> in the sense that we invite teachers to construct the learning as they go. And so um, what that means is that our trainers are always asking really good questions and then providing a lot of empathy, validation, and mirroring, even for the resistance. And so I think our trainers are exceptional at both um, and providing empathy and also in uh, giving permission to resist, right? That there, there's nothing wrong with resisting. It's, it's a natural response to earlier trauma or stress. 
Mm-hmm. So even if a teacher walks away with only having their resistance validated, <laughs> I don't know, I'd call that a win. Yeah. Um, but I would also say that most teachers in my research with our programming and just in my observation, I've actually gone through our three day twice as a participant. And then of course have been involved in all kinds of ways with our training. Um, I would say that the vast majority of teachers kind of have that first reaction of why didn't we learn this in our master's degree? Yes. Freeing this is, it's like a key that unlocks a door that's been locked for me as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing I notice is that our teachers and, and administrators, I should say educators who go through our training, they often, they often start doing the work within their own families and Mm. during our meetings. So they begin to think about their spouses or their own children or their mother. (laughs) Um, And so really uh, those applications to education are also happening, right? And sparking and firing while they're with us. But we also, of course, invite and allow educators to process their personal stories. And, and so on day two of training, uh, lots of times participants will come back and say, I had a great talk with my husband last night. Oh, um, that's great. And, and so the idea of healing happening in relationships across the board for teachers is really motivating to us. Oh, that's, that is wonderful. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I love that that, they're they're looking at that with an openness and curiosity even beyond then you know what what they're seeing in their classrooms into their own families um you know one uh, I, I another thing i wanted to bring up and we didn't say, i had this in my notes um and we didn't mention it in part one of the podcast and um that is the percentage of of kids in the average classroom that do not have secure attachment. And so I wanted to talk about that for just a second before we move into the intersection of attachment and trauma. But um, can you share a little bit about some of those statistics, the, the number of kids that are insecure versus secure? Right. Sure. So in the general population, the thought is around half or so. Um, That's a really hard contract to measure, obviously, of students are going to experience insecure attachment. Um, But then when you move into high trauma, high stress schools, areas that have a lot going on, then you're going to see a much higher rate of disorganized attachment. And then you can see upwards to 70, 80% of kids having insecure attachment. Yes. So um, we do do a lot of work with uh, schools who are experiencing trauma and stress. And so um, maybe that's another reason that educators are receptive to our work is because Mm -hmm. they are um, facing a lot of daily challenges around insecure attachment. Yes. Yeah. Never having the language for that must be so uh, disempowering and disorienting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. When it's such a large group of children and you're kind of wondering, you know, why am I getting this response? And I think that that lack of reciprocity then begins to mess with one's own attachment system. And as you talked about different triggers and things like that. So I did think that was a, an important um, 
statistic to mention. And so you mentioned um, in kids where there's, you know, higher risk populations or, or more um, children with trauma in their history. So let's also talk a little bit about attachment and trauma because, um, you know, trauma-informed schools, that's really become a buzzword. Um, and I which is, it's, it's good for us to be trauma informed. Um, but I, I've had trainers say, I feel like we're somehow missing the relational and the attachment piece in some of this training. Now, not you guys, obviously you're, you're, you're not, <laughs> um, but, um, so tell me some of your thoughts about, about that and why this is a, a both. I mean, cause there's lots of people out there doing um, training about trauma-informed schools that would not be mentioning any of this attachment stuff that you're talking about. So talk to me about that. I feel like, uh, yeah, sometimes attachment is sort of in the closet over in the corner and, and it's starting to bust open, I think. Um, so I would say that uh, this is how we think about it. We've thought a lot about this uh, because obviously this is the water we swim in too. And how we think about it is almost like a lot of people want to give teachers the science and the skills of attachment. But the truth is, is that if, if you look at uh, the important sort of longitudinal work around adult attachment, we know that without self-awareness, the, the science and the skills are going to fall flat. And so we think of, of self Because you have that same 50% of people that are secure exactly. as teachers. We all know, right, that I have every good intention to provide um, care to my children and my spouse every day. But when they trigger me, I act like someone that I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And the same is true for educators, whether that is at the surface of awareness or not is really, is really key because, because when we are triggered, when we are stressed, when we're not caring for ourselves, when we're undernourished, when we're undervalued, underappreciated, when we don't feel safe, seen and soothed. Which many teachers are probably like, wait, that's how I feel. That's me. She just described my, my, my life as a teacher. When we are in that state, it is going to be harder to practice radical empathy. It's going to be harder to invite emotion, to give kids permission to feel all kinds of things. It's going to be harder to stay in secure attachment behavior. And so I, we at Fuel Ed, we think about the self-awareness piece around, you know, self-awareness around our attachment story, around our triggers, around our attachment style as an adult. We see that as almost like the yeast in the bread. It's like uh-huh. in a lot of the trauma-informed training, they give you the, they give you the flour and the water and the salt, <laughs> but you know, you can't make bread rise without yeast. And uh-huh. so- um, we think that it's almost, um, and we think we say we think that, but also the science really does demonstrate that that self-awareness piece that I have awareness about my what I bring to relationships, mm-hmm. what triggers me, what my needs are, um, that that actually will make any of those discreetly taught skills, such as empathic listening. Um, you know, courageous conversation, all the, you know, there are so many great mm-hmm. programs really. Yeah. Even like 
even down to positive behavior supports, right? Right. How more powerful are those positive behavior supports if you're if it's coming from a teacher who's able to stay in secure attachment, no matter what direction that kid's going. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we almost, uh, we don't see fuel ed as another program to throw at teachers. We actually see it as more foundational to all kinds of interventions that schools are do, trying to use all the time. Um, we say, and we've seen this, a, a self-aware team of educators that can practice empathy and genuineness one another can change a school culture, can can also sustain a, a beautiful career as a teacher, right? Um, imagine being a teacher for 30 years without self-awareness or without skills of empathy. And then imagine doing it with self-awareness and with the skills of empathy. Those are two different careers in teaching. And so probably every single person listening had each of those teachers come to mind from their own history when you just <laughs> said, <laughs> yes, they know teacher A and I know teacher B. Um, yeah. One has an embroidered pillow and one. Is- <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think too, um, the, with, with the trauma piece, I mean, um, secure attachment being a buffer for trauma and then also you know the more safe and calm we feel the 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 less likely we're going to go into ptsd symptomology and so i think it's you know one of the the things that i um sometimes i i don't talk with educator audiences a lot because i feel that um Having not been an educator, I, I just, I, I did that for a little while. And then I was like, you know, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I have not been in a classroom. I mean, I'm used to dealing with one, two, three people, maybe, you know, at one time. Anyway, uh, but I would say, uh, you know, when you're asking kids to put on their thinking cap, you're, you're, you're asking them, you know, which was a phrase when I was growing up, the teacher would say, you know, when we're going to get down to business, put on your thinking caps. I say, that's like putting on your cerebral cort- you know, your cortex and traumatized kids are like stuck in the back of their brain, you know, in fear and anxiety and scanning the room and you need the cortex online, you know? So this was one of the ways, you know, I kind of um, brought in that intersection of what you were saying earlier that the parts of the brain that a teacher needs to be online are those higher brain functions and um, the safer kids feel, the more accessible those are. Absolutely. Um, those, those more primal needs for safety and security have to be met first. Yeah. And that's just true and real. Um, yeah. And so giving teachers the tools to meet those needs the self-awareness to be able to recognize that that's what's happening. Yeah. You know, cause self-awareness always creates others awareness. Yes. And, and so being aware of those, that child's needs and meeting those needs is really the first job to be done. Um, and that, that part I think is also missing from how we train and prepare teachers for this highly relational job to provide safety for students. Um, 
that that really um, I think there's not enough training happening focused on that. And yeah, and how frustrating for teachers because they are told to make sure that that cerebral cortex is is growing and sparking. Um, and so it's a little bit like, oh, but you can't do that. Um, right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like being given a room full of people who who aren't in a space to take in what you've been taught to give them and what that must feel like at times. Right. And and there's a sense where, you know, another sort of attachment related concept would be the idea of window of tolerance, which is yes. the amount of stress basically we can handle and still stay in that green or calm, collected place. Right. And so uh, if you're working with, and I'll say this to any teachers listening, if you're working with students who have very, very sort of narrow window of tolerance and they are almost always outside of that calm place, then that actually paradoxically means that you as an educator need a huge window of tolerance. Mm. And because you're going to be around, um, you're going to be around uh, stress behavior all day long. Wow. I've never heard anyone say that like that. That's really profound and powerful. Yeah, it's huge, right? And and if you think about it, we have no real um, accommodations in place for teachers in that situation. Right, because I, I had this vision in my mind of, you know, like you're saying they need a, a open window of tolerance, a wide, and I'm like thinking, yeah, and then when this stresses you, you start closing the window. And then I was like, what is that stick we could put in the window to keep it? <laughs> Can you tell I've lived in old houses that have windows? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what is it? You know, and I'm sure it's, you know, support and, you know, understanding. Your attachment, isn't it? The teacher who feels very, very, very well supported by their admin. Yes. Seen and safe inside the adult culture and right. building who has time and space. We off, we often talk at Fuel Ed about the only the only real barrier for our training and what we do in the world is time and space. Um, because so often educators don't have time and space to do the work of self-care, of self-development, of, of even self-parenting, right? Yes. Basic needs. We're not talking about trips to the spa and the resort here. Yeah. We're talking yeah. about have you eaten? <laughs> yes. Has anyone hugged you? Well, this year, no, no one's hugged you. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so we we hear a lot right now, you know, COVID related that. Yes. It's been in the back of my mind this whole conversation, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> being a teacher right now. I mean, I just don't even, I, I, I think it would just have been hard to be a teacher before. And now, you know, all of this on top of it. Oh, well, yeah. Well, Kelly, it has been such a great conversation. Um, 
I hear, like I said, lot, you know, my thing is attachment theory and, you know, hearing how this intersects in the, the classroom has just been so fascinating. And I'm sure it has been to others as well. I want you to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, more about, you know, Fuel Ed and, and the trainings and things that you guys do. Absolutely. Well, you know, the best place to start fueledschools.org is we have a lot of free opportunities that people can drop into free webinars, free community events. Um, You can join our newsletter. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at fueledschools. Great. um, All of our training, all that we offer is right there on our website. Plus our blog covers a lot of your blog is great. In fact, you have a series of blogs on the topic we've been talking about, and, and they're really, really good. I would encourage people to look at those. Yes, come check us out. And we we want to build a supportive and safe community for educators all over this country and world. And so we um, please come join us, become a part of the Fuel Ed family. All are welcome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.